Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death where me and my brother John, we answer your question, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how are you? I am okay. Hank, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, I have just announced that I have a new book coming out in October. Oh, yes. It, I've, I, I, that's completely new information to me. had no idea, well, d- it, Would you like to ask some questions about it? Because I'd be happy to answer them. I, f- I feel like you're not allowed to answer any of the questions. Every time anybody asks... I'm allowed, to answer, I'm allowed to answer whether it's available for pre-order now. It is. And I'm allowed to answer when it is going to be published, October 10th. John, are all copies going to be signed? No, not all copies will be signed. <laughs> However, uh, 200,000, or maybe hopefully slightly more, will be signed. Um, and uh, there's a special ISBN for the signed copies. But if you pre-order from your local bookstore, uh, you should be able to get a signed copy, no problem. I, I, that's not a promise, because a lot of pre-orders won't be signed. It has a large first print run. But um, that's what I would do. I would pre-order from, from my local bookstore, if it were me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, I should go do that right now. I'll see you later. This was a good pod, John. I, I enjoyed it greatly, Hank. And you know what? If you want to cancel the pod so that you can pre-order Turtles All the Way Down, <laughs> my new book coming out October 10th, that is just fine by me. Okay. Well, I'm not actually going to do that because I feel like I have an obligation to do something else first. And also my local bookstore will be there this afternoon when I go there. So one of the characters in this book, Hank, is a, uh, is a small-time poet. Uh, you know, like a seventeen-year-old mm. kid poet, mm-hmm. not like a not like a grown-up poet. So I thought maybe I would I would read one of his poems for uh, for the short poem today oh, from the pod. Oh, that's special! So we're getting a little sneak preview. I don't want to get in trouble with my publisher, who's constantly screaming at me never to answer questions about the book or say anything about it. But um, I am going to read you this poem <laughs> that was submitted by an anonymous user. Something, something, something. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's called Last Ducks of Autumn. It's possible that I've read this before, by the way, uh, in an earlier episode of the pod and attributed it to an anonymous user then, too. If so, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, the poem's called Last Ducks of Autumn. The leaves are gone. You should be, too. I'd be gone if I were you. But then again, here I am, walking alone in the frigid dawn. Last Ducks of Autumn by Davis. Oh. Oh. Mm. Um, was there slant rhyme in that? Is that 17-year-old poet really into Dickinson? Yeah, I don't feel like I can talk about the, that. I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to... Uh, let's, let's move on to questions from our listeners. You're not going to give... That's all the insight we get, John. Okay, this one is from Danny, who asks, Dear Hank and John, this is obviously for you. I'm moving to a city for nursing school, Portland, Oregon, that has not just one, but two professional soccer teams. Mm. The Timbers, the men's soccer, then and the, the Thorns. thorns. Yeah, women's. Yeah. Oh, you, you knew this. Okay. I did. I've always wanted to have a local soccer team to root for, and I plan on attending the games. But my question is, how do I attend the games without looking slash acting like an obvious newbie? Is there behavior I should avoid so I don't act disrespectfully? Is there some sort of abridged version of soccer gameplay rules slash fouls that I can look into to understand what the heck is going on? Bath bombs and goalies. Danny. Well, I mean, the Portland Thorns were founded in 2012. So (laughs) I would argue that all of their fans are relatively new to the team. Uh, The Portland Timbers are not that much older. You know, like the great thing about soccer in America is that everybody's new. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's joining up right now. 
It's like fair weather fans, and it's like, well, no, it's just this one season. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there, there are the, of course, there are the occasional like, there are lots of diehards who who will be like, oh, I've been a Timbers season ticket holder since way back in the halcyon days of two thousand nine. But um, <laughs> I actually find one of the things I really like about soccer fandom in the U.S. it's is that it's very welcoming and open and inclusive. Uh, there's always an element of like, uh, you know, do you even know the rules or the culture or whatever? But the cool thing about, you know, being part of a soccer culture that's relatively new is that it's still forming itself. It's still deciding what it means to be a Thorns fan or a Timbers fan. And I think that's uh, I think that's really cool. So just learn a couple songs and you'll be fine. In fact, I have attended a Portland Timbers game. And so I know most of their songs. There aren't that many of them. Um, <laughs> Henry still sings one of them. When I root, I root for the Timbers, uh, which, you know, yep, I don't think it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest soccer songs. But there, <laughs> I, I taught you one. Just use that one. You'll be um, fine, Danny. I, 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 I almost am tempted to ask, like, what do people do all game during a soccer game? But, John, I'm not going to ask that question because I like hockey and I go watch hockey and I know exactly what you do. It's a very similar kind of experience, I assume. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, like, a lot of like back and forth and not a lot of goal scoring. Um, and so they're similar in that way. And what you do is you, like, get food and you talk about stuff and you, like, are watching the game, but you're also hanging out. And it's not just about the game. It's also about who you go with and, and the people that you meet when you're there. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it's kind of strange to think, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a soccer fan and I'm just going to sit here for three hours? Right. It's nice to go with friends, for sure. It's only two hours. That's one of the other benefits of soccer. But um, <laughs> but it is nice to go with friends. But I also think it's a it's a good way to, uh, it, you know, it, it can be a good way to meet people. It's not a good way for me to meet people because I am way too introverted to ever strike up a conversation with someone uh, at a soccer game. But it's a good way for some people to meet people, I'm told. Anyway, Hank, I guess the Portland Timbers are our MLS team now, whether we like it or not. That's who we root for. That's yep. That's our that's our people. When we root, um, we root for the Timbers. And I don't root much. And you know what? That that means, Hank, that we've just made enemies of the vast majority of American MLS fans. So suck it, people of Kansas City. <laughs> that's a good. I guess. don't even like you, residents of Las oh. Vegas. <laughs> Not totally sure who has the MLS franchises, to be perfectly frank with you. Yeah, I, I feel that, John. I know Orlando has one. Uh, what's it called? I believe it's called Orlando City FC, which is hilarious because having lived in Orlando really? for 12 years, Hank and I can both attest to the fact that not once was it ever referred to by anyone living there as a city. <laughs> Orlando City is a weird, yeah, that's weird. Uh, yeah, and instead of instead of FC like it is in the UK, it's SC for soccer. That's yeah, oh, they should have called it Orlando uh, Collection of Suburbs. Yeah, <laughs> SC Orlando loosely knit together community that exists mostly in the form of roads and collective imagination. This question comes from SC. Mason, who writes, "Dear Hank and John, how do you get a teenager who doesn't want to drive to drive?" Thanks, I guess. This is my mom's question. Mason. <laughs> wait, wait. Whose mom? What? Mason's mom is wondering, how do you get a teenager who doesn't want to drive oh. to drive? Oh, 
So Mason's mom was like, Mason, that podcast you listened to, ask them a question for me about you, lazy Mason, who I, doesn't want to drive. So I don't think it's that Mason is lazy. I'm, I'm just purely theorizing here. Obviously, we don't have a mm-hmm. ton of information in this question. I think Mason is rightly afraid of the power that comes with driving. Sure, it is, it is uh, the, a very dangerous thing that we do. Probably right up there at the top. Actually, there was a study that came out a couple days ago that showed that preventable deaths in the United States are rising dramatically, not because of our um, health care system or anything like that, but Uh entirely because of two causes, uh, one being the opioid crisis and the other being distracted Mm -hmm. driving. So people texting while driving. It's possible possible that Mason just wants to keep texting and correctly thinks that you cannot do that while driving. I, you cannot do I that I did want to emphasize that statistic, uh, though, Hank, because I, I think all of us have moments of distracted driving where we think like, ah, oh, well, mm-hmm. this is okay. It's not. It's one of the single greatest public health problems in the world today. It is a very serious problem. Do not get on your phone while you're driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see it all. The, I see it so frequently, and it... Uh, I, I just I the other day we were crossing the street and uh, it's a four lane street and there's uh, and one like one car in one of the lanes stopped and then the car in the like far lane didn't and so we like stood there in front of this car as this other car like this person was on their phone and I was like this is me and my my wife and my child and I was just like you just like it like in it in a slightly different situation that could have gone very very bad. Yeah, and I was really, really upset about it. Um, but, but to Mason's question, I mean, what? I mean, how long are we gonna have people driving anymore? Even, like, wh- when does it actually become? I mean, for many people in the world, it is not necessary to have a car at all. And already we have Uber, and it might be cheaper for many people to just Uber around rather than drive, and you don't have to worry about parking. You don't have to worry about owning a car, which is an expense, and also. Um, also like work like you have to maintain this thing and you have to buy it and you have to figure out how like all that stuff is, is a cost not just the cost of the vehicle so and then soon enough we will have self-driving cars and then you really won't need one and, and it's sort of like like imagining the way that stick shifts are today like some people can drive stick and I can't I feel like in the future there will be people who, who can drive and people who can't and it would be just as weird to know how to drive as it is currently to know how to drive a stick shift I mean, I think your utopian vision of uh, autonomous cars flooding the market in the next three years is a little unrealistic. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I, and I also don't don't know that uh, uh, the solution for Mason is necessarily <laughs> to just wait. Just wait. Uh, so Mason, it depends on why you don't like driving. Uh, but if you, but. For me, I remember being very stressed out about driving when I was 15 and 16 because I was like, this car weighs a lot and it seems kind of like a miracle to me every time a car accident doesn't happen. Like every time I'm at an intersection, I am astonished by the fact that this has been successfully navigated by all parties involved. And Mm -hmm. um, that is... uh, that is a good, not a bad thing to be thinking about. It is not a bad thing to be remembering, in my opinion. But I, I, I think like driving gets better, like a lot of things. The more you do it, the less stressful uh, it becomes. So I would recommend baby steps. 
Baby Steps. I'm a big fan of Baby Steps, Hank, as you know. Absolutely. John, this question comes to us from Sarah, who asks, Dear Green Brothers, I am currently staring at the gray speckled walls of an airport, and I was wondering, mm. why are there so many birds in here? Yeah. How did they get here? Right. Are they pre-check? Is this a thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Verba, verba, verba. I don't know what that means, Sarah. Uh, I think it means words, words, words. Ah, uh, good, good, good. Um, yeah, I mean, how do you think birds get places? They got to go to the airport. Uh, that is incorrect. <laughs> they got it. They're going. They're going on vacation, or maybe it's work. I don't know. Pleasure, business, whatever. All the same reasons people are at the airport. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm trying to yes and you, but it's such a stupid joke. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> okay, yes and also. Um, they check their little bird bags. I, it's very, hold on. Yeah, yeah, they check their little bird bags. Yes, and the birds are... Uh, I'm not very good at this game. I was I was a terrible... Like, I was the worst improviser in all of the improv classes I ever took. People would be like, I... What? Huh? And I would just... And I would I would freeze a lot, but not while playing the, the improv yep. game freeze. Just, I would just freeze. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I apologize, John. I shouldn't have thrown you into that d- that deep dark improv water there uh, with the, with the birds checking their their b- little tiny bird. The bags funny thing and- is, all the listeners to this podcast are telling themselves amazing jokes that I should be telling oh, yeah. right now, and I'm hyper conscious <laughs> of that. I'm literally the least qualified person listening to this podcast currently when it comes to making birds in airport jokes even though i know know a lot about airports uh, the truth is that um airports are constantly exposed to um air the weird thing to me john yeah it's like aren't airports like the most secure building we have except for like jails right yeah like like it's not easy to get into an no, airport the door, i can't it, yeah. just i mean I, how hard is it like the doors are always closed the boarding do- the moment the boarding door closes it cannot be reopened believe yeah, like, me i have asked many times the jetway is like an airlock right it's like on one end there's a door and on the other end there's a door and if there's a bird in there open right. the outside door and let it go that way also, is there a is there a place in contemporary life worse for birds than an airport? You know, like, I don't know that that's true. Actually, I think if I were a bird, I might really like living in an airport. It depends uh, on the kind the, of bird oh, you oh, are. Oh, yeah, living in an airport maybe, but I'll tell you what you won't like uh, getting to the airport because of all the jet engines that yes. will suck up your yes. body and kill you. Once you're in there, you're safe. But when you're out on the tarmac, that's not a good spot. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Getting into the airport is one of the most dangerous moves a bird can make. Now, maybe life inside the airport is awesome, although I suspect not. I suspect there's like one bird catcher employed by every airport who's like out there <laughs> trying to get you. And it's like a children's picture book situation, you know, oh, where yeah, like yeah. the bird just wants to be free. And there's this evil dog catch bird catcher who's like out trying to get. It's a great premise for a children's book, but it's not an easy way to live your life. Yeah, I mean, you don't get rained on. That's nice. The climate is controlled, and I imagine there's lots of snacks around. Uh, people never finish in their Pringles at the airport, but sure. Uh, which is which is why, like, when I, sometimes I see like like there's there's a family. This isn't like one bird. This is like a generations of birds happening here. Oh, I think you've I think you've just uncovered what it is, Hank. What is it? It's not that birds are always coming into the airport. It's that once upon a time there were two birds in the airport. And now 
years later, mm-hmm. we're on like the ninth generation of swallows. Like the the swallows that you see currently in the Detroit airport, I, I assume that Sarah is in the Detroit airport. I've seen birds in a few airports, but mostly in the De- Detroit airport. I, I think like the birds that you're seeing in that situation, not they have never known life outside the airport, right, nor did yeah. their parents, nor did their grandparents. Those birds got in pre 9-11 when airports <laughs> were basically just like open to the world. <laughs> the Swiss cheese. That's right. That's what happened. We figured it out. We have solved it, Sarah. That's where the birds came from. Also, they're flying to their vacations and work trips. Some of them are in bird first class and some of them are in bird coach. And it's sort of like a weird societal division between the birds. Great great call Um, back to your bad joke. This question comes from TJ, (laughs) who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've heard that the largest fear from scientists about the polar ice caps melting is the fact that there might be ancient bacteria that we have never been exposed to before inside that would be freed once melted. I don't know that that's the largest fear from scientists, (laughs) but it's certainly the largest fear from hypochondriacal scientists like myself. I was wondering how true this might be and how much of a problem it would cause if we don't know how to combat the diseases that might be unearthed by the melting of the polar Uh, ice caps, uh, uh. especially now that we've pulled out of the Paris climate agreement. Uh. Sorry for the new fear of possible death. TJ, TJ, don't worry. You didn't add any new fears of death to my life, buddy. I've been worried about uh, (laughs) bacteria that are hiding that will be revealed by the climate for literally decades. Uh, So, TJ, the situation is depends on what you mean by ancient, because like if there are like bacteria, if like co-evolve with their hosts and viruses and and fungi and all these things. uh, So. So, like, if there's something that's, like, from pre-human times, it's very unlikely that they'd, they'd be able to infect us just because we have a lot of systems for dealing with bacteria. But there, there are concerns. Uh, for example, sometimes you have, uh, you have like, uh, an, like, anthrax will do this, where, like, so, like, an animal will die infected with anthrax, and then it'll get all up in the animal, and then they'll get buried under permafrost for a long, long time, and then they'll get unearthed, and suddenly that the anthrax spores are like, woohoo, and... Uh, go off and mostly they kill reindeer but occasionally it kills people the big one that like that uh, that scares me is like smallpox has been eradicated there is no smallpox on earth uh except in in laboratories but can smallpox survive frozen for a long time it can and has the last time this happened was in like the turn of the last century so like in the night or early 1900s a body that was infected with smallpox like a like a that had been buried in a grave uh, like melted for out. For how long? For how long? I don't know how long it had been. I can't. I. I, okay. I don't. Don't have that information in my head. I wish I did. Uh, but you. Uh, yeah. That person. Then that there were then people who got smallpox from that, and that's a bummer because uh, because smallpox is easy to deal with if uh, you know you're about to get it, but hard to deal with once you get it. Um, Hank, on this front though, I just want to say something. Uh, that I think is generally true, which is that uh, it would obviously be very bad if smallpox came back to human beings. That would be a huge problem. Correct. Um, But we already know for a fact, there is no question that climate change is going to be a a huge problem 
that affects and likely shortens the lives of many, many millions of people. Uh So I think part of what we're doing when we imagine these kind of apocalyptic scenarios associated with climate change is almost like trying to use human psychology to understand the scope of what we're talking about, because it's really, really hard to understand the scope of what we're talking about. Like it's, it's really hard to understand how small changes over long periods of time will have profound effects on many people. But it's really easy to imagine like smallpox running rampant through a population. So I think it's almost a way of trying to like uh, Mm -hmm. trying to like give it a form that makes sense to us and like makes us feel adequately like, oh, we have to deal with this. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Yeah. Like, but but I don't really like that strategy. I would prefer to say, like, here's the whole situation. Uh, but I also haven't heard scientists being like, the biggest problem we're going to face is smallpox from global warming. I haven't really heard that one. No, I just think yeah. like on the, but on the margins, not, not, not within scientific communities, but on the margins of people like trying to understand it. I agree. It's not a good strategy. I just think like maybe that's part of what's going on. All right, John, this question comes from Emily who asks, dear Hank and John, I have naturally curly hair. Occasionally I straighten my hair. If on the day that I die, my hair is straight, will I be buried with my hair straight or will it be washed and styled in my usual curly way? Thank you, Emily. <laughs> well, I'm, I really appreciate you coming to us, Emily, yeah. with your Experts. questions Experts for, right for mortuary scientists. Um, <laughs> because I don't know if you know this, but Hank, just as I was briefly in divinity school before dropping out and deciding nope. I didn't want to be a minister, Hank was briefly in mortuary nope. school before Not, dropping out nope. and deciding that he didn't want to run a funeral home. So I'll Incorrect. just leave this one to Hank. Oh, well, I mean, I think like whatever you want, like write it down first and everybody will do what you want to do. Uh, But I think, yeah, that's how it works. Right. But I assume most people don't. Most people aren't like put me in this suit and like do my hair this way. And I want to be wearing this watch. Yeah. What does your will say? Oh, God, not none of that. Um, Yeah, definitely not. My will is just like um, uh, I believe it says something like. Uh, just make sure that Hank gets nothing. <laughs> Hank will inherit my stereo boombox and nothing else. <laughs> uh, there's a little note inside my will that says, Hank, um, if you had not stolen and sold my <laughs> baseball cards on eBay when we were children, you would be a wealthy man right now. But instead, here's my stereo boombox. I just remember. I, I remember. I remember specifically, like, think when I was young, thinking about, uh, like, like when I was like eight or nine, thinking about like if I died, who would get my boombox? Because it was like my favorite thing in the world. It had like two tape decks, and it was, you know, had big speakers, and you could fill it with like eight thousand D batteries, and you could take it portable. And uh, I remember being like, man. Now, I got to make sure I know who's going to get this if I go. Yeah. And like one, like, and like, like, I, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if you were on the short list, John. Oh, I don't take it personally. Now, now don't feel worry. Like maybe you it shouldn't doesn't be. bother me. Um, yeah. I, All right. I, I, I want, I want you to be happy. And if that means not leaving me your boom box, I'm okay <laughs> with it. Although I guess you won't be happy almost by definition. I wonder what that stereo boom box is doing now. Uh, I I have a pretty good guess. Oh, <laughs> I have a pretty good guess that it turned out to die before you turned out. I to. guess that's all right. Uh, it is somewhere in a landfill, uh, 
gathering dust. Oh no, I can't imagine it's gathering dust. It's probably sealed to the outside. It probably hasn't been touched by air in in a decade. It'll be discovered in like 2,000 years as people are digging through our remains looking for a cure to smallpox. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't dig for a cure to smallpox. It'll just be... I'm just kidding. Smallpox is not coming back. It is the thing... I would argue the single greatest achievement in the history of the human species is the eradication of smallpox. And I'm very proud of it. And it's not coming back. We did it. That's right. Let's let's take... Take credit where credit is due, humans. You got it. You did that thing, and that was a good thing. God, we do so many things poorly, but we did eliminate smallpox, and we're close to eliminating uh, polio. Yeah. And it makes me think, and one day we will eliminate malaria, and I, all of my hope is in our ability to kill things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. It's what humans are best at, extinction. Uh, usually, usually bad. But but sometimes we do extinction the right way, John. That's right. Uh, we we do extinction every way, poorly, <laughs> well, in the middle. We've got it covered. If you need to go extinct, you've found the species for you. Oh man, I've well, boy, I, if that were only the case, there are quite a number of species that I would totally eradicate. Absolutely, that's true. People that's true. are always we're not like, as, yeah. yeah. People are always yeah. like, "What? Like you? Like all species serve a purpose? Like what? Why? Like what purpose do ticks serve?" And I'm like, "Well, I, my problem is with your first premise. Not right. no. They're like, like sure, yes, they have a they have a niche in the ecosystem, but like a tick, like if every tick died, everything would be fine. Everything would be better for everyone if every tick died. They I agree. They exist for uh, their own benefit and no one else's. You know, Hank, the, we need to start a um." an organization an anti an anti-tick organization that just says no more ticks just humans you have killed thousands and thousands of species focus your killing energies on ticks (laughs) let's find a way to make them into burgers then we'll kill them in five minutes are we still talking about birds in airports no i think we're talking about people's dead hairs what I, uh, we're we're today's podcast is brought to you by ticks <laughs> ticks on their way out. If Hank has anything to say about it, except for this podcast, also additionally being brought to you by Amazon.com's new series, The Tick, uh, based on Ben Edlund's comic book uh, series. It's very good and should not be eradicated. You know what? I, I just to briefly pause the uh, sponsorships, Hank. I thought for a second there yeah. you were going to do our first actual sponsorship. By the way. We're going to have actual sponsors on the podcast. We don't know how we're going to integrate it yet, but um, we finally uh, had some actual sponsors reach out to us. And we were like, they were like, we know that you're not too commercial. And we were like, we'd like to be. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I, ho- I hope you won't the, mind uh, us selling the, you the, mattresses slash websites slash Amazon's new series, The Tick. But we will make it clear <laughs> when we're being paid to say yeah. something because, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll read the copy in a way that makes us sound like we don't mean it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, we'll, we'll make it clear. <laughs> so back to the point, though. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the Portland Timbers. The Portland Timbers, um, America's number one Oregon men's soccer team since way back in 2009 and finally this podcast is brought to you by fake sponsors fake sponsors not going anywhere even if we have some real sponsors yeah but we but we are not we are we are going to say yes to some real sponsors because yeah but we're going to keep doing the fake ones that's when i said on twitter like i'm thinking about it people were like as long as you don't get rid of the fake ones because i like that part 
No, I'm glad people like that. That's a good, that's, that's positive. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. Okay, Hank, do you have another question for me? I do. This one is from Meredith, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I just recently got into a relationship with a lovely boy, and it's going very well so far. The only problem I have is uh, there is somewhat of an intellectual disparity between us. He's an English major, attending your alma mater, John, who absolutely adores reading and has read more books than I can fathom. I, however, having dyslexia and ADHD, don't tend to enjoy reading as a pastime because it quite literally hurts my brain. I think I've so far been able to maintain the illusion that I'm decently well-read, but I'm afraid he will soon find out that I'm not and be very disappointed. He frequently makes references to classic literature that I know nothing about, and I sort of just smile and pretend like I know what's going on. I know that I'm smart in lots of other ways, and that's valuable, but this is something that's really important to him, and I want to be able to talk with him about it. Please provide me with advice and or summaries of important books that I should know about. Wish I had a better sign-off, Meredith. All right, John. The Great Gatsby. What's that one? Uh, Gatsby turned out all right in the end. It was what preyed on Gatsby. What foul dust trailed in the wake of his dreams that temporarily... Hold on. Let me Google the rest of the quote. (laughs) Um, Basically, that's all you have to say, though. If you're talking about Gatsby, you just have to say... uh, you just have to you just have to quote that that line. What foul dust that floated in the wake of his dreams? I didn't even get that part right. Uh, that uh, that temporary closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short winded elations of men. Who among us does not know that feeling uh, of b- temporarily th- the temporary closing out of one's interest in the abortive sorrows and short winded elations of men? Um, <laughs> Uh, that's actually one of the feelings that oy, I know oy. the best that I have I have seen rendered on the page the least. Um, but yeah, that's that's all you need to know about Gatsby. Gatsby turned out all right in the end. It was what what preyed on Gatsby. It was that foul dust trailing in the wake of his dreams. Um, do you need any others? Uh, what about Old Man in the Sea? Oh, a man goes out to sea. Spoiler alert: catches a fish. Um, but then the catching of the fish almost destroys him. It's man versus nature at a time when Hemingway believed that somehow... I, so it's uh, To me, Hemingway, and especially <laughs> Old Man in the Sea, is extremely, uh, like... It, it like constantly contradicts itself like it has a constantly shifting opinion on the relationship between uh, man and nature that I find annoying, but lots of people find brilliant. 
What about like Terry Pratchett's Monstrous Regiment? Okay. Um, I've only read one Terry Pratchett book. So, <laughs> on a world that is uh, flat and, and disc-like. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, that's all I've got. Nothing about just wizards or wars or stabbings? Uh, or wizards mag- and other things as well. Other things as well happen. So... One of the like, I, so I would say actually one of the secrets to this whole thing, this this question is um, that uh, everybody in in my experience, everybody I've ever talked to uh, seems smarter than me because I have a different set of like illusions and a different set of understandings than they do, and whenever they say something that I haven't read or seen or looked at or whatever, I feel like an idiot. Um, But of course, like, I don't have access to their entire encyclopedia of references. Meredith, I think that like, whether or not you have read Old Man in the Sea has very little to do with either how smart you are or, um, or how effectively you can contextualize yourself in, in, in the universe. I just don't think it's that I say this as a writer like I don't mm-hmm. think reading any individual book is that important yeah um, I, mean, it's, I just it's, don't like yeah. I, and I think I think there are lots of ways to engage intellectually with the world and I bet your boyfriend understands that or else he should yeah I mean there's something to be said for having shared cultural experiences and, and that can be any kind of media but it can certainly be books yeah um, but yeah. also lots of people have really great relationships that like were raised in different countries and and never watched any of the same TV shows or read the same books because they were reading in different languages. Like it's uh, it's totally possible to have a relationship without um, like a hundred percent of your interests being shared. And and uh, but but I do think that it's good to be honest about that um, sooner. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I would just suggest is to find places where you can connect to each other, uh, you know, cultural stuff that, that you can connect, whether it's art or TV shows or whatever, and connect. Yeah. And also, like, yeah, don't let it get you too down. If it's like, like, there's like Catherine was a big fan, is still a big fan of musicals and, and, uh, and also like some old movies and will also always like sort of look at me askance when I'm like, I do not know that thing you are referring to. And she will like be a little bit of like, a little bit proud, like, like looking a little bit down on me. Uh, but like, it's all in good fun and does not mean that like she thinks that I'm a bad person or that, and, and, and yeah. Uh, so if, it, just because like you don't have that thing in common and just because like there may be some polite joshing around it does not mean that like oh you're so like uneducated or whatever um to to so like and if it's the kind of thing that that uh that is going to mess a little bit with your confidence i think also be honest about that with him. i agree hank we need to get to an important issue that many people brought up after a recent episode of the podcast it's a obviously a contentious topic and one that I think I I actually wasn't in on this episode and if I had been I think we would have handled it a little differently and maybe a little less dismissively Um, but Mm -hmm. I just want to be honest about it and acknowledge the feedback that we got which was overwhelmingly negative about the biting of popsicles (laughs) Um, (laughs) Connie writes 
Dear Hank, John, and Travis. Once again, Connie, I was not in on this conversation, so you can just say Dear Hank and Travis because I was not involved. I'd like to point out that biting popsicles is a better way to use popsicles if your goal is to cool down. If you wait until a bit of the popsicle melts before licking it off, you are allowing the popsicle to absorb heat from the sun. This means that less of your body heat will be absorbed over the entire eating of the popsicle. Pushing the problem even further, consuming sugar kicks up your metabolism and makes you warmer anyways. Popsicles are instant gratification for little overall gain. It seems like you should be drinking water and consuming hot things instead to make you start sweating. Evaporation is a cooling process. Please check out the links below. And then there are a lot <laughs> of <laughs> sources. So there you go. Indeed. Wow. Oh, yeah. Cold is... Ooh, ah, mm, yes, there are a lot of, lot of things. Um, I'll say... Fine, then just swallow a bunch of ice cubes, if that's what you uh, want. Well, okay. I don't want to raise more hackles, though, on the biting popsicles <laughs> issue, so I will just say that I have no opinion on this matter, and I think that people should use their popsicles in whichever way they want. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for everybody uh, who, who, felt, who felt that my treatment of popsicle biters was... Uh, and I think that that was in the, uh, that was in the, the, oh no, what, 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 where was, oh yeah, 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 that was, okay, I, got, I remember now. I thought that that was like a patron exclusive or something. It wasn't. Everybody got that one. Um, yeah, that was our PodCon promotion episode. But yeah, you, use popsicles however you want. This, uh, this question comes from Sarah, who might be my wife. And writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm in need of some dubious advice. My husband wants to shave his head. For the past year now, he's been telling me again and again that he just wants to know what his head looks like. But... I just want to know what my head looks like! But what if it grows back different? What if it decides not to grow back at all? What if it looks weird? Also, if you want a reference point, he looks like Hank, but with dark brown hair. I mean, this very well could be my wife. I mean, that's... Yeah, that sounds like... That sounds a little like you. P.S. I haven't seen any tweets from Leon Musk lately. Has he lost his passion for his mission? Um, I, I wouldn't say that he's lost his passion for his mission because Hank made a big to-do about how I would eventually lose interest in Leon Musk and I'm not willing to give him the satisfaction. That's all I'm saying on that topic. Uh, <laughs> Hank, what do you do when your spouse wants to shave their head uh, so that they know what their head looks like, but you are worried that it will grow back different or not grow back at all? Um, I think that you should be worried about what he will look like when his head is shaved and also maybe that he will like it so much that he will keep doing it uh, and you won't like it because may maybe it's a real good, maybe it's a good, maybe it's a good feeling for on that, just having the air on it. I don't know. Maybe it would be. And, and maybe he just would like to not have to handle, deal with all of the, the hair coming out of his, his noggin. But, uh, but it's, gonna, it's not going to come back weird. It's, it's going to come back normal. And that's a pretty, pretty broad like, uh, set of data supporting that, including every person who's ever shaved their head. So that's, that, you shouldn't be too concerned about that. Um, but, uh, but, you, but I would you know, make sure that it's like, okay, if, if this is about you just learning what your head looks like, Let's together, we will make this sacrifice and we will learn what your head looks like because that's apparently something. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to not know. Now that you've said it, now that, now that you have made this argument to me, I'm like, okay, I don't know what my head looks like. I have had this head my whole life and it has always been covered in hair. I don't know what's under there. There could be like a weird like pattern of moles that like is in the perfect shape of a turtle and I would never know. And 
So I'd like, absolutely, maybe this is something that he, he just needs to know about himself and he's tired of not knowing it. But Hank, but I'd like to I, point out one thing that's very, that's, that's a real consideration here that nobody's mentioned yet, which is that if you shave your head, it will definitely contribute to hair loss. You will lose all of those hairs. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes. Yes, the, the hairs will be lost, but it, it, it should not inactivate any of the current follicles. I don't know. I don't know what those words mean. I was just trying to make a joke. <laughs> uh, I, I also uh, I also just want to say that uh, if you do find that you shave your head and you have moles in the exact shape of a turtle, that maybe we could use that for the cover of my new book, Turtles All the Way Down. Yeah, well, maybe that. I mean, I could Photoshop that for you if you want. No, no, no. <laughs> No, no. God, why did you create now? It is an inevitability that someone will make that. And it's terrible, terrible news for me. This is one of the worst things that came from this week's podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but I would, I would uh, if I were you, person who asked the question, I don't have it in front of me, just make sure that you like agree that there's a time limit on the head shaving. If you really don't like it, like don't like the idea, then... then you know his his hair is in some in some respects your hair uh mm, <laughs> i don't know that i agree with that like i don't know that, no. that marriage is a fusing of the hair as well as a fusing of the soul <laughs> i don't even really think marriage is a fusing of the soul for the record i just want to go out go out and say that i'm not totally convinced on hank's position that's, in respousal uh, hair that's how it works that's how it works. You get you got you to you get the joint bank nope. account, and then everybody is in charge of everybody else's hair. Yep. Nope. 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 I know lots of uh, happily married people who actually don't have shared finances. Even um, it's uh, it's a subject of great interest to me because Sarah and I have had shared finances since like three weeks into our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Catherine and I used to have a whiteboard where we would keep track of who owed who what and then at the end of the month we'd sort of balance it out and it'd be like 10 bucks right no that's a, that's a lot of extra work yeah the moment we moved in together we were like uh let's just go ahead and mix all the books together and also uh just get the one bank account and My in goodness. some ways marriage was the smaller step once you've mixed your library with someone else's library oh, it becomes very wow, yeah. very difficult to break up <laughs> All right, John, I take back my comment about how uh, a spouse owns their spouse's hair. <laughs> yeah, great. Good. Really good retraction. Uh, Hank, it's time to get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. What is the news from Mars this week? Um, John, if you go on to uh, if you go on to YouTube, you know about YouTube? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and there is a new video that's it's it's basically fan art. As, as far as I can tell, this was not produced by NASA. There's this video called Vivid Mars, and it is uh, it is footage uh, of both the launch of the Mars Recon Reconnaissance Orbiter and also some of the amazing pictures it has taken on the red or of the red planet because it's orbiting the planet. The high-rise camera is one of the heaviest, biggest cameras we've ever sent uh, it to a planetary mission. And this video uh, cuts together these amazing, beautiful images 
with some really great music and uh, and and some good style footage of of MRO heading heading to the red planet. And man, if you just it's really super HD, you gotta like open it up on the full screen monitor or on your TV or something and just spend these three minutes uh, watching this video because it it makes me feel very good feelings about us as a species and about uh, and about the beautiful universe that we live in. It's called Vivid Mars. It's on a YouTube channel called KAMI Cami and it's it's just freaking gorgeous. It's like, wow, they did an amazing, amazing job of putting this together. I will do that uh, right after we get off this podcast, because that sounds lovely. Um, I also have news from AFC Wimbledon. In fact, for considering that it is still the off season, I have an astonishing amount of news from AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> First off, AFC Wimbledon have a new kit manufacturer, Hank. As you know, all the big clubs sign kit deals with like Nike or Puma or Under Armour or whomever. Uh, and AFC Wimbledon's new kit deal is with Puma. Puma, the maker of those shoes that Hank wears every time he's doing um, a concert. Uh, yeah, I have to wear, I mean, I don't, I usually wear my, my boring shoes, but when I need to look good, I put on my Pumas. It's true. That's right. It's true. That's right. Puma, by the way, is welcome to sponsor this podcast as well as AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> um, but we're very glad to have them joining the AFC Wimbledon sponsorship family alongside the video game football manager, uh, yourgolftravel.com, and of course, me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also in news from AFC Wimbledon, uh, Dom Polian has left the club for Bradford City. Another striker leaves the team. Uh, Tom Elliott left earlier this season. Now Polian's left. Uh, it's a, but Neil Ardley did say, we feel that we are strong enough in that department to let him leave. But I, who exactly is making us strong in that department? We still have the Montserratian and Messi Lyle Taylor. But can he score goals alone? Can he score the 30 or 40 goals we would need from him? I don't know. I'm a little nervous. It's nervous times. There's been a lot of selling and not a lot of buying yet uh, for, for AFC Wimbledon. And lastly, probably the most important news. Hank, you may remember that there was a um, petition by uh, certain people to have the uh, the Wimbledon Greyhound Stadium, uh -huh. where they do the Greyhound races, listed as an architectural masterpiece so that uh, it could never be taken down and turned into uh, <laughs> oh AFC Wimbledon's new stadium. Yeah. And then because of the English election, uh, there, there's a rule in England where they, you know, they only have six week election periods as opposed to America where our elections uh, never end. And then when they do end, uh, the results are in dispute for the rest of all time. Yep. Uh, in England, they only have like a six week election cycle. So you cannot make any kind of big decision within six weeks uh, of right. an election mm -hmm. so that you're not seen to be... Um, uh, yeah, so that you're not seen to be like trying to influence thing or sure, things or whatever. Sure. So the the decision was delayed and delayed and delayed because of this election business that's been going on in the United Kingdom. But finally, it came out that the Greyhound Stadium is not going to be listed. That should be the last major hurdle between AFC Wimbledon and final real let's get some boots on the ground and cut some ribbons and start to dig permission to uh, to for AFC Wimbledon to build a new stadium in their uh, historic homeland. So that's very, very exciting. 
Mm-hmm. That is, I do it, man. So you, so so, what's the thing that they sing? They sing "Show Me the Way to Plow Lane." Yeah. Uh, so they've they've gone now twenty five years uh, without uh, without a home in their home. You know, they used to have the stadium. Uh, for many years called Plow Lane and it was taken away from them and and then they had to ground share with Crystal Palace and then the club of course was uh, taken away and moved to Milton Keynes and it's uh, so they sing this song uh, show me the way to Plow Lane I'm tired and I want to go home I had a football ground 20 years ago and I want one of my own and uh, I think the most unexpected result possible from that song would be that they are actually going home to Plow Lane, but that seems like what it what is going to happen. Yeah. So they, they they've truly shown the world the way to Plow Lane, and uh, hopefully for that 2019-2020 season, Hank, you and I and all of Nerdfighteria will be in that stadium to celebrate their first game. Everybody, everyone, everybody, of us. every everyone from the whole world. I will charter all of the planes. <laughs> no one can go so anywhere on that else. Day, that day. On that day, all the planes go to London. You look, you go to the airport. And the birds and the humans are all, all only going to London. And all the birds will be stuck in the airport, completely unable to go to their destination, wherever that was. All right, Hank, what did we learn today? John, we learned that uh, a nice, cool Earth is keeping uh, some infectious diseases locked away so that people can't get them. And that, thank, thank you, cool Earth. You're the best. You're so thanks, cool. Thanks, cool Earth. You super cool. We learned that driving is dangerous and scary, mm-hmm. but is still currently a necessity for a lot of people. We learned that uh, John was never, ever going to inherit my stereo boombox, uh, which now is locked deep, silently, and darkly somewhere underground. And speaking of that, we learned that Hank was briefly a student of the mortuary sciences. No, that's, no don't start rumors, John. Oh, sorry. We learned that I may or may not have a bunch of turtle moles on my head. Oh, God. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this podcast. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Send us your questions. We always appreciate it. yeah, Hank. Hank does the credits, not me. So I don't know how yeah, to do this, the rest. Yeah, this, pod, this podcast is uh, is produced by Sheridan Gibson and Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our social media person is Victoria Bongiorno. Nick uh, Nick Jenkins is our editor, who makes all of us sound way better and funnier than we actually are. Uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn where you can uh, support this podcast by which we mean we use that money to pay for things at our company where we make SciShow and Crash Course and stuff because um, it doesn't take that much to run this thing. And um, and you all can also you can also get our weekly uh, our weekly uh, Patreon only podcast this week in Ryan's there. And if you are uh, wanting to ask more questions, John already told you about our email address, but we are also on Twitter at Hank Green and at John Green. And you can use the hashtag Dear Hank and John. We, uh, we, we, we I don't want to end the podcast, John. I just want to keep talking. I, I, you're my bud, and I like, but I guess we have to end it. Not only do we have to we have to end it, but only so that we can go make a different oh, podcast yeah. called This Week in Ryan's. Well, yeah, okay, so it's not over yet. Well, thanks for potting with me, John, and thanks everybody for listening. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.